This is the Functional Rehab Podcast with your host, Dr. Ashley Mack. So it was August 2022, and I go out to dinner with my wife, and we have fried chicken, beignets, and broiled oysters. It was a delicious meal. But later that night at around midnight, I woke up with this stabbing pain right underneath my rib cage. It was so painful and I was kind of nauseous and I wasn't really quite sure if I had to have diarrhea or was going to vomit. I just knew that I wasn't feeling good and there was something that was wrong. So I wake my wife up. I'm in the bathroom saying, I don't feel good. And the pain is so intense that my wife actually told me that I passed out. And so I passed on, I fell in between the toilet and our wall. And this was all happening in front of my wife. And I come to, I'm feeling terrible already. I don't know what to do. So we do just like any other normal citizen would go after you faint or have something that's never happened to you before. We go to the ER. So we go into the ER, tell the nurse on duty. And this is midnight. We're at we're 12.30 a.m., This is midnight. I go in, tell the nurse my story. They take my vitals. Okay, vitals seem to be okay. All right, Ashley, let's go ahead and have you sit in the waiting room and we'll call your name when a room opens up for you to get evaluated. Sitting there, still 12 a.m. Six hours go by, still sitting in the waiting room and didn't know what was going on. By that time, by 7 a.m., I actually felt fine, enough to the point where I was actually angry that I was waiting for such a long period of time. And so we ended up leaving, told told the front desk, say, hey, we're leaving. And you have to sign a, a note saying you're leaving against medical advice. And I said, well, you didn't give us any advice to begin with, but I'm going home. A couple of days later, we figure out like what the problem was. Everything was totally fine. But my experience in the emergency room is not uncommon, but also it's important for us to understand what can go on in the emergency department, the ED. And did you know that in some hospitals, physical therapists actually work in the ED? And so today's guest, I got connected via LinkedIn. She's actually a physical therapist in the emergency department, as well as having her own podcast talking all things emergency care and physical therapy. So today, Rebecca Griffith, Dr. Griffith, so good to see you. And thank you for being on today's show. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. That was a big lead up. I'm like excited to talk about all the things that probably went into that that experience that you had. It was, uh, I remember when I was in school. So I graduated in 2012. My second to last internship was actually in the ICU over at Cooper Hospital. And I spent one day uh, in the emergency department. I one, that was also my first time in the emergency room, uh, emergency department. So I really didn't even know what to expect there. But then to look at, okay, what is our role as physical therapists in that area? How does that play out in the whole ecosystem or life cycle of a patient who actually walks in through it? So before we take a deep dive and talking a little bit more about the emergency room, emergency department, the logistics and everything, tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you do. Sure. I'm Rebecca Griffith. I'm a physical therapist in the Denver, Colorado area. Um, I'm a neurologic clinical specialist, but I'm also working on a fellowship in uh, manual therapy, which a lot of people think of physical therapists. They think of that hands-on treatment. So I do a little bit of that also. And I didn't start in the emergency department. I started in a neurologic rehab hospital just for brain and spinal cord injuries. And then my career kind of evolved in ways I, I didn't really expect in many different clinical settings. But I actually think a lot of that was preparing me for getting to the emergency department. 
because as you know, when you go into the ED, you could be going for any reason. You went for abdominal pain and passing out. Your neighbor might be going in for chest pain. Somebody next to them might be going in because of a soccer injury. So you need to be prepared for anything that can walk through the door. So after some time in outpatient therapy and in acute care, I really felt like I had this skill set to start helping and addressing some of the issues that we see in the emergency department. And I've been practicing there for uh, in some capacity for over 10 years. So it's it's been a really rewarding place to work and definitely an area where I think we need more physical therapists and an area where I think we could really serve our patients a little bit better. So one of my goals is to have a physical therapist in every emergency department and urgent care. And my dog is going to contribute to the podcast today, I guess. Love it. Saw, saw your dog stirring in the background. I uh, really appreciate what you do. Um, in essence, uh, what a lot of people think as physical therapy, they're often thinking that physical therapy is kind of like the third person in line that you go to when it comes to care. It's like you go to the doctor, you get sent to another doctor, you go to physical therapy, or you're at the hospital whether you're getting like a knee replacement, uh, hip replacement, like you wake up and the physical therapist kind of like walks around, teaches you how to use a walker. But there's another portion of care where we're looking at actually when you're when you're going in through the, the ED, the emergency department. And so this is a, like a really big, broad question because this is a subject of today's conversation. But the ED, emergency department, what goes on there? I'm going to just pause and let you just talk away. I think that the first thing to understand about the emergency department is that it's our safety net in the United States. We definitely have a pay-to-play healthcare system. We have payer-centered care, not patient-centered care, because of the way that our our society has decided to manage healthcare. And it's not really a commentary on that. It's just, that's just the way it is. So the emergency department, for one, is the only place some people can receive care. So I think we like to think of it as this place where people only go for emergencies, life, limb-threatening issues, where they go for significant critical care when maybe they they can't get into their doctor's office or those middle-of-the-night problems like you had where there's nowhere else to go. But because of that, because it's the only place so many people have to go, we can see anything from like, you know, you need a few stitches or you have a urinary tract infection or I sprained my ankle all the way to somebody who's facing death. So when you think about the emergency department, you have to know that this is a facility that is open 24 hours a day. It takes a tremendous amount of people to make that work in any capacity and we have to balance many needs of varying levels of urgency. So when you talk about sitting in the waiting room for six hours, the good news there is you were okay. You know, and so I always tell people if you're waiting in the emergency room, it's usually a good sign. If people are running at you or hustling you back, it's probably not a great sign, you know. So it's definitely frustrating for people though when they come to the ED and and they've been waiting, they are suffering, they are uncomfortable, they are scared, they're nervous. And there are so many factors going on behind the scenes that that patients don't see or understand that go into that. So it's definitely an issue, um, but that kind of makes the emergency department a unique environment. You can't make an appointment. You can't get seen first because you waited longest. It's It just doesn't work like that. The other issue in the emergency department is that we're probably not going to solve all your problems. We might not even really figure out what all is wrong with you. You might not 
have your problem solved or all your questions answered. But we will make sure you don't have a life or limb-threatening emergency, right? So you're going to leave knowing that you're safe for now. It doesn't mean you don't need follow-up care. It doesn't mean every test was done. It's not the place that has unlimited resources to, pro to provide you with every answer to your medical needs. Nor do you want emergency personnel making those diagnoses. And many times you really do need to see a specialist, but that's not accessible for many people. So because of these increasing demands on the United States healthcare system and the emergency departments in general, we're seeing a large expansion of personnel in the emergency department to help meet some of these needs. So that includes nurse practitioners, physician assistants, social workers, case managers, mental health professionals. Um, physical therapists, occupational therapists, in some cases, speech therapists. So the personnel that are being added to the emergency department are trying to help balance some of those needs, help people get what they need a little bit more effectively and efficiently, and help our physician and medical colleagues focus on those medical emergencies that really do require their training and expertise. It's a really great explanation in what the ED is. And I'm going to piggyback off of one thing that you said in regards to just the where we live in a payer system. Um, and oftentimes if you're booking an appointment with your GP or even if you go to urgent care, uh, you, I mean, you're, you're, or even when you go to the hospital, like there, there's someone who pays it. And if you have private insurance, it's your private insurance who pays it, which you and then essence pay your private insurer. But if you're underinsured or you're not insured, you might not necessarily be in the financial position to be able to pay out of pocket for your general doctor's visits. And I've read this in multiple areas, but emergency departments have a responsibility for when someone comes in that they treat them, regardless or not that regardless if the patient had the capacity to pay. And yes. so that's where people go into it, like from, from a payment standpoint. And it definitely, you know, not every urgent clinic, not every doctor is going to be working around the clock. So you do have that opportunity to to see someone, uh, even though there's a long waiting line, it's like there, there's no appointment. So I, I really appreciate you sharing that. And so if we're looking at the addition of these personnel to help manage the, the volume of cases coming in to help be a part of that uh, triage care system, can you give us a couple examples or some stories of things that you've gone through um, in regards to as a PT in the ED? Uh, what is that like? Yeah, I think that's a great question. So I like to think of physical therapists are never going to be the only people practicing in the ED, right? We're not medically trained for that. That's outside of our scope of practice. However, our scope of practice fits so nicely within the emergency department. Some of the top diagnoses that people come to the emergency department for are musculoskeletal. Like low back pain is one of the number one reasons that patients go to the emergency department. Partly because it's super scary, partly because it can be incapacitating, partly because their pain is out of control and it's scary and they don't know what to do. So a physical therapist is the perfect person to do that. Otherwise, what the standard of care in the emergency department is, is usually if there's no traumatic mechanism of injury, you're going to see uh, a brief exam some Tylenol or ibuprofen, maybe a lidocaine patch and discharge with a referral to follow up with your outpatient doctor. And a lot of patients are really dissatisfied with that because it, it doesn't necessarily help their pain. It doesn't allay their fears. It doesn't tell them what to expect. So if you can come into the emergency department right after you hurt your back and I can say, hey, 
you know, this is what's going on. Here's how I can help you be more comfortable. These are positions I would encourage you to be in. These are exercises that will help you get better quicker. And now I'm going to connect you with a physical therapist who can help guide you through the rest of your rehabilitation. And we can avoid excess diagnostic imaging. We can avoid giving people prescriptions for opioids, which can be harmful and addictive. And we can really help decrease the fear that comes with a new musculoskeletal injury. And the research has shown that the sooner you have access to a physical therapist after a diagnosis of low back pain, the better your outcomes are both physically and fiscally. So we really want to make sure that we are offering that best care immediately. Like what better place to offer that? So physical therapists are perfect, perfectly the right provider at the right time in the ED in many cases. Other, other instances where I'd say a physical therapist is really important is in that fall risk assessment area. So another large population that comes to the emergency department are older adults. And we all know that we have a very large older adult population right now, that baby boomer generation, that they are all needing our help now. Like we're, we're to that, they're to that age where they need help and support. And if you have an older adult who's falling at home and they maybe haven't hurt themselves badly this time, who better to figure out why they fell, why they're falling and how to prevent more falls and maybe what they need to make sure that this patient doesn't continue to deteriorate. So I'll give you, I'll give you an example. Think of your, um, think of an older adult patient who might have something like congestive heart failure and that patient maybe needs to take medication that makes them urinate frequently. So they, they have to go to the bathroom frequently, but if they're afraid they're going to fall, they don't want to do that. They're now afraid to get up and walk to the bathroom multiple times a day. So they stop moving. So they lose strength. They stop taking that medication. So their heart starts to get volume overloaded and they have trouble breathing. And then they have even more trouble moving. And then they finally get up to try and get some help or try and get to the bathroom or try and fulfill some of their needs and they fall. And now they're admitted to the emergency department because they've fallen, maybe given themselves a small head injury. And now their chronic health condition is also out of control. Whereas if this patient had maybe seen a physical therapist earlier in their journey, we could have made them feel safe, confident, and strong enough to be managing their tasks at home so that they could manage their chronic medical conditions safely. And we wouldn't have gotten this new injury or this chronic disease exacerbation, which might require a hospital stay, some follow-up physical therapy, either in a rehab environment or a home health or outpatient environment. So there are so many things we can do to kind of get ahead of these things. If a physical therapist evaluates an older adult when they come in for a fall-related issue or even difficulty just caring for themselves. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense to piggyback off of that, you know, in the in the example of the patient with congestive heart failure, uh, with their medications, they're yearning a little bit more and they're concerned about falling. Um, this is probably an entirely discussion, another discussion of its own, but that it also makes me think, all right, well, if a patient is being provided diuretics where they have to urinate a little bit more often and they are, in fact, very concerned about falling. This is definitely a conversation that the patient should have with their primary, uh, with their physician. And then there should be a collaborative effort to say, let's go ahead and focus on reducing the risk of falls. I know that when I'm working with patients who have Medicare, when they present with significant balance deficits, the number one priority is to minimize the risk of falls, right? Improve their mobility, but reduce the risk of falls because it's increasingly expensive on the system when they fall on sustained injury and have to be admitted. So I really appreciate you sharing that 
in regards to the the need, especially for uh, especially with the aging population. As you were describing the the presentation of low back pain, one of the very common reasons why people go to the ED. You go, uh, they get medically evaluated. What I really appreciate, especially in this type of cycle, is that the the sequence of events is a lot faster because typically, unfortunately, if you're using private insurance or even just the use of direct access, which a lot of people don't know what direct access is, listeners, direct access is the principle or law that is present in various different states that actually allows physical therapists to be the first line of defense or evaluate you first. And within their scope of practice, if they identify anything that is outside of their ability and their knowledge, then they have the responsibility to refer out. But for the majority of people in society, the way that people see the physical therapy profession is that number one, they experience a pain or experience an issue, most likely ignore it. Number two, get to the point where it doesn't resolve. They go to their primary physician because of the fact that if they were going to get physical therapy, their primary care physician has to actually write a prescription for it for actually for it to be covered. Or the insurance says you have to bring them to a specialty orthopedist first. And so what ends up happening is that this becomes, this extends the timeline and in a way, the ED is a way to fast track it, but it's not, I mean, the ED is there for emergencies, but in some cases, people don't have a choice or the pain that they experience is so intense that it does present itself as an emergency. Yes. And, and I joke with my outpatient colleagues that they've never seen a patient with acute low back pain because the patients that I see can't stand up or they had to be brought in by an ambulance because their back pain is so severe, or they haven't slept in three days because they can't get comfortable. And I would say in in most cases, back pain feels very serious, but it's most likely not dangerous. But that level of pain feels highly dangerous. And I think it's completely reasonable that people wanna get that checked out. But I think if we improve the start of care there, instead of having the emergency department be another thing that slows it down, then I think that it's definitely somewhere we should be intervening. Which then brings up to the fact that what are some things that could actually help us figure out when it comes to acute low back pain, what are some of the things that we should be looking out for where it's more of a concern to say, okay, we should, it, it helps us get a better idea. Is this a true emergency? I think that's a great question because in in PT school, they teach you that severe pain is a red flag and that that patient needs to go to the emergency department. But based on my experience in the emergency department, usually severe pain is just sent home if there's not something else that goes with that. So I would encourage you to really like think about the pain. Like, is it, is it really, it's intense, right? Is it changeable? Is this something that if I change positions, I I can make an impact on? Is this something that impacts my ability to use the bathroom? Is this something that keeps me from being able to stand up? Is this something that is making it so that like I can't lift my legs? Like really thinking about those more severe things. And if you're a physical therapist listening, if you have a patient who's in uncontrolled pain, I would encourage you not to panic. And like work with the patient a little bit and and do some like subtle experiments to try and help them move through it, to help them regulate their nervous system, to breathe through it, to figure out what makes them feel better, what makes them feel worse. Now, if the pain is truly like to the point where it doesn't matter what you do, 
then then you want to get some increased assistance. But generally, low back pain will improve with time and with movement. And so we want to encourage that. But most people don't know that. It feels like the end of the world like that, that I don't want to minimize that at all, because it's incapacitating. So I think really helping patients realize that it's safe to move. Because I have a lot of patients also who are so afraid that if they move, they'll make it worse. Or they're so afraid that they've seriously damaged something. And that if they continue to move, they will continue to damage themselves. And as physical therapists, we know that's not generally the case. We know something is something is upset and the body is reacting to it in some kind of way. But for patients, when they're experiencing that, particularly if they've never had an experience with low back pain, I think just making sure that they know it's safe to move is, is really helpful because pain hurts sometimes without causing damage. And there are other times that pain is causing damage, but it's very hard to know the difference. But once you can kind of be guided through the difference and you can feel that it's safe to move, it's much easier to get that pain to decrease more quickly. Absolutely. I often tell the, the patients that I work with when it comes to dealing with uh, pain or even a flare-up, not to the extent that they have to go to the ER, but even when patients do have flare-ups with me um, and they, they message me or they call me, I actually go through the same progression that you're listing right now. And what's really interesting is that if we approach pain, like pain is a pain is a, a personal experience. It's a pain that it's it's something that's very unique to yourself. And the best way that we can objectify pain is through the the VAS, right? Scale of zero to ten. But that's still a very subjective way because you're rating it on yourself. So us as healthcare providers we have to base our decisions off of data. And so if we can get these clarifying questions and get a better understanding of what's going on, we can get a better answer. And what I actually found, especially when like talking through that same process you just described, what ends up happening is that even just trying to objectify and walk backwards, it ends up actually reducing the pain because it yes. gives the patient an opportunity to feel a little bit more in control. Definitely. Yeah. And, and the pain that we do experience, it's, it, yeah, it is in fact very painful. It's a, it's a way to protect ourselves to avoid any further damage. But in some cases, those alarms can be a little too aggressive. It's kind of like the little ant that crawls on like a really highly sensitive pressure plate and sets off the alarm. And so it's when you experience such intense pain, you can take a step back and try to figure it out and and then from there, we determine what the next steps are. So I really appreciate you sharing that. Now, let's talk about the experience. Like, okay, so from, from, a, from a pain, from an acute pain standpoint, patient comes into the ED, turns out that it's actually not a medical emergency. So like, their spine isn't compromised, there isn't any cord compression. I remember when I was at the hospital, like when I was uh, interning at the hospital, there was actually the physical therapy department. And it was the area where the entire, like all the, even the inpatient physical therapists, like gathered in this area, it was like the inpatient physical therapist, the outpatient physical therapist, like in this office, which also had the gym uh, for both inpatient and outpatient. So at the hospital that you're at, is it somewhere, something along the lines of, okay, patient goes into the ED, you're seeing them in the ED, and it turns out they would actually benefit from more PT work. What's that like? Do you end up taking them to the gym? Do you end up providing the treatment there on the spot? Kind of walk us through what that journey is 
And are you seeing these patients on a repeat basis? I think that's a great question. So if you're coming into the emergency department, our goal, and this is going to sound terrible on the face of it, is for you to leave. We want to get you out of the emergency department and on to the next step as successfully as possible. And I want you to be better than when I found you, right? It, but that's my goal. My goal is to get you out of the emergency department. My goal is not to make sure you're playing soccer again. My job is not to make sure that you can go back to your job. Like that's, that's not my job. My job is to help you get back out of the emergency department because you don't want to be there. I promise it is not, it's not the solution. It's not where you want to go. So you came here for a solution and we're going to help you find it. So I usually think of myself kind of like a train conductor. I'm trying to get you to the next stop, whether that's like, I help you manage your pain and then I send you home and then give you a referral for what's next. Or if we can't manage your pain and there's something else going on, we get you admitted to the hospital. Or if you're falling every day and you have no one at home to help you, then I'm going to help you get referred to a rehab hospital where you'll be taken care of and we can get you back to your prior level of function. Or you're doing well, but I think if you had a walker to use at home and we had a physical therapist come see you in your home, that would solve so many problems. So part of my job is immediate attention to address the current problem. And then the next piece of my job is, what do you need to leave here successfully? And where will you go next? So we treat patients in the ED. We don't take them anywhere. We can't technically take them out of the emergency department. Otherwise, it's not an emergency anymore, you know, and, and we need to keep them in the emergency department where the resources are, especially because if there is an emergency, it just hasn't happened yet. Like your, ca your case is evolving. We want to keep you safely there. Uh, also, we have... I think we run over 70 physical therapists a day. So there's no like one space where we can have all of the patients. So we provide whatever treatment we can where you are in the emergency department. Sometimes that's the hallway. Sometimes it's a supply closet with a little chair in it. Usually it's a patient room. Just depends on how busy that, that um, emergency department is that day. But I promise when you come in and when you go, I'm going to do everything I can to make you feel better today and to make you feel empowered for what comes next. Beautiful. Yeah, and, and I, I really appreciate you really defining the, the use of the ED. I think what a lot of people, patients who go through the ED, and I, I remember speaking with uh, a couple of clients who come to me where the first thing that they did was go to the ED and they said, oh, I went to the ED, they took a couple of x-rays and they just gave me medications and they sent me home. And in the most polite, most tactful way, I would say, well, that's actually great news. You didn't have yes. a medical emergency and now we can get, we can get the work done. So it's like, okay, you're not dying. This is not a medical emergency. Now we can start problem solving. And when you experience such acute pain, it's, it's, it's such a scary experience. I mean, even me, like if I fell and like got the wind knocked out of me, like that initial moment in time is like the scariest thing ever. But I mean, when I get the wind knocked out of me, it's temporary. But when you're in such a high level of pain, where the only thing that you can consider is possibly going to the hospital, that to be able to have one to go there and ensure that there is nothing wrong with you, that's great. But then also number two, to be able to, uh, you know, work with someone like you and the peers that you have in the ED 
extremely valuable. So that that is so cool. And I'm really, I'm learning a lot here because again, I only did one day in the ED and the, the work that you all do is really, really beneficial. And so, um, okay, this is, this is really, really cool. Um, so let's talk about, so we went through some stories. We talked about the use of the ED. I know that you're in the process of trying to get more PTs in the ED across, across the country, right? So yes. what does that process look like? Because I know that, well, you know, everyone says like budgets are all limited and everything, but here you are in your emergency department showing how valuable the, the profession is in that setting. What are some of the steps that you're taking to help spread awareness and also trying to get more of these professionals like us into the ED? So I think it's it's a big job, right? Because you're a physical therapist and you don't even really know what we do, right? So if, if my own colleagues don't know, it's very hard to expect other professionals to know. And it's even harder to expect patients to know. I'll go into a patient's room and I'll say, hi, I'm Dr. Griffith. I'm the physical therapist. And they're like, I don't need physical therapy. I have chest pain. Like I'm here because I have chest pain. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to actually help you treat that because a lot of chest pain that comes to the emergency department is musculoskeletal and not cardiac. So there's, there is just, the first step is just letting people know who we are and what we do. The, the practice in the emergency department in the United States has been going on since the nineties. I mean, I, I mean, that's a long time. It, it's just hard to get it to be more widespread. The literature, there are over 100 references about emergency department PT. It's been shown to decrease throughput time in the emergency department, decrease use of opioids, imaging. It improves patient satisfaction highly. It improves provider satisfaction. So the med our medical colleagues are thrilled to have us there. Uh, there are so many benefits that have been shown in the literature as well. So I think the biggest hurdle is to help demonstrate our value. And there are ways to do that. What we need to be able to demonstrate is how we are improving care, how are we are keeping patients from coming back to the emergency department, how we are helping to reduce resource utilization, how we are helping with overall hospital flow, right? Because also some hospitals are having what's called bedlock where they don't have enough beds in the hospital. So they're having to hold patients that need to be admitted in the emergency department. We can also start seeing those patients and help get those patients moving faster, get their discharge planning going much faster. And we can also help the flow to like those next steps, like I mentioned, outpatient therapy, home health therapy. So awareness of the benefits and how we can help improve administrative problems, decrease barriers to access to care, and improve the quality of care. Those all feel like no-brainers to me. Then the next step after that is making sure we have physical therapists who are prepared and willing to work in that department. Because most of us, I think when we went to PT school, we had like a little picture in mind of what we were going to do and what kind of physical therapist we were going to be and what kind of place we were going to work in. And this just isn't on a lot of people's radar. So spreading awareness about that and that it's an opportunity is also huge. On the biggest picture, I would love to see this shift in our profession to where we stop thinking about where we practice and what kind of therapist we are and start thinking more about how can I practice at the top of my scope to see patients where they are and to give patients the care that they need. 
So like you, for example, you know, you don't necessarily work in a clinic. You don't work in a hospital. Like I, I, I hear PTs all the time say, I'm a, I'm an acute care therapist. I'm a rehab therapist. I, I only work in this kind of environment. We have to get more to where our patients are if we really want to like make a bigger impact. So I would say the, the biggest, broadest picture is challenging physical therapists to think beyond spaces and to use our skill set to really help change healthcare and empower our patients, no matter where they are or who they are. Physical therapy shouldn't be a luxury. A hundred percent. They often say it's like you use 10% of your brain, right? Like really the physical therapy profession has only been able to access or utilize a very small percentage of what we're capable of. And so being able to have professionals like you and having platforms like your podcast, which I'm going to ask you about, um, and being able to speak out gives us an opportunity to spread more awareness to not just the public, to the patients, but also to other physical therapists, because there's a lot of work to, to be done. And the th- cool thing is the fact that we can we can help a ton of people. And I really appreciate saying meeting people where they're at, because yes. it's hard it, as as connected as we are in this world, we're also significantly disconnected because we are staying behind our phones. We are restricting ourselves just to the clinic. There are many ways for us to be able to help people. And so I'm thankful for professionals like yourself to be able to grow. You're also the, the, the president elect of the Colorado APTA. So I'm excited for you to continue to push and, and focus on the progress of this profession. So Rebecca, tell us a little bit more about the podcast. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you if they want to hear more from you? Yeah. So the podcast is called In the ED Now. It's available wherever you download your podcast or on my website, which is www.theeddpt.com. And the focus of it is to make you an excellent emergency department physical therapist. However, if you're a physical therapist in any setting, really what I do with this podcast is I interview experts so that we can take things from their expertise and add them to our tool set, no matter where we might practice. Because one of my biggest passions is getting people to use their familiar tools in unfamiliar ways, like I said, so we can meet our patients where they are. So one week we might be talking to an oncology specialist and they're going to give you things you really need to know just to know that little extra bit so that you're not letting anybody down. Or a pelvic health therapist, how do I ask patients about their bowel and bladder challenges? And then take that and apply it to our personal setting. So I think any physical therapist could find value from that and just apply it in their own setting. If you're listening and you're like, hey, I really want to start an EDPT practice. I also wrote a book called Top of Scope, the Emergency Department Physical Therapist Handbook, which you can find on Amazon. And that will help give you a blueprint for where to start and how to go forward. So you can find me at my website on any social media at the EDDPT.com or at the EDDPT. Very cool. Rebecca, thank you so much for uh, your time today and your expertise. I learned a lot and I'm excited for the listeners to understand like if you are a patient going into the emergency department and you see a physical therapist, you'll you'll know what to expect. And it's actually really great news. They want to get you out of there. And ultimately, if you are able to leave the ER, uh, the ED and, and not be admitted, that's even greater news. And wait times, wait times is a good thing. Be it like waiting because of the fact that you're going to be okay-ish. Like, um, you know, we'll be able to get a better understanding once you get evaluated, but it's good to know that, you know, if you're not being rushed into the ER, it's not as dire as it 
you you may think. So, yeah, thank you. I would, also, I would also encourage you if you're a patient going into the emergency department with a musculoskeletal diagnosis or a vertigo diagnosis or frequent falls, ask. Just try asking. Do you have a physical therapist here that I can see? Just ask. Almost every hospital has a physical therapist in the building. They might say no, but you could also advocate for yourself by asking for a referral to see a physical therapist. But it's a good way to start that conversation from both the patient side and the provider side so that we can make sure that more people have access to physical therapy. 100%. Rebecca, thank you so much for your time today. You're so welcome. It was a pleasure. No patient-therapist relationship is formed by listening to this podcast. We are not providing medical advice and all information should be confirmed by a medical provider.